Amen. Great job, worship team. The first song in that worship set was written by the worship team as they've begun to develop their songwriting skills. So I think we should give them an extra round of applause for that, don't you? Good job, guys. Tremendous. Well, the Lord is obviously present. He lives in the lives of all believers, but of course is present here in his creation. And one of the marvelous things about worship is that Jesus keeps his promise that wherever two or three are gathered in his name according to his identity, in other words, according to his life poured out for us, then he'll be present among us. And so his presence around us meets his presence within, and we have that wonderful experience that we've just had here in-house, and my prayer is online. So welcome, everyone. We're going to look today at the stories of two leaders as they intersect. The story of Cornelius, the centurion, the first European who was brought to Christ through the, through the mission of the church going out. Now, of course, there were European Jews who were saved on the day of Pentecost. But here is a fully-fledged Gentile who, though a God-fearer, now a monotheist, not a polytheist, he, he worships just the one God of the Bible, he is a Gentile by birth and no doubt struggles to wonder how it is that he might be able to fully identify with the living God of the scriptures. So we're going to read today, I'm going to read a lot of this passage and I'm going to make comments about Cornelius, this remarkable leader who's identified as such in the scriptures and then the other leader, one that we're more familiar with, Peter the Apostle. So let's read from verse one. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Now in the Bible, we see these centurions, these leaders of 100. I, I put the air quotes there because it was very rare, in fact, that a centurion had a, a hundred men under his command. It was usually somewhere around 80 soldiers that would directly report to a centurion. And then there would be maybe 10 centuries for each regiment and then a number of regiments to make up an entire legion. 
there was a legion of soldiers posted in Caesarea Maritima, which was a great city built and developed by Herod the Great, to be one of the great cities of the Mediterranean world. And when you go and look at the archaeological ruins and you see Sebastos, this amazing harbor which greeted people with giant statues of the royal family welcoming you into this most marvelous edifice, you realize that you were coming into one of the great archaeological or architectural wonders of the world here in Caesarea, a place where the apostles would go to to travel the world, would return to to come to Jerusalem. Caesarea was the place where Cornelius was posted. He was part of the Italian regiment, well-known, a regiment with an illustrious history, a regiment that was largely identified in its early years with the lower part of Italy, as we would call it today, Calabria, which was in those days called Italy. Other parts of what is now the Italian peninsula were called other things. Eventually, the whole peninsula became Italy. And so he is a centurion amongst Italians. He is an Italian of Italians, and he's a leader of men. He's a devout man. He has set aside the pantheon of the Roman gods. He has seen the devotion of the people of Israel. He's recognized the way in which the world is gravitating towards monotheism, which seems to be the only reasonable way for a person to worship the divine. And there, as he's no doubt read the scriptures in Greek, he has become familiar with the God of the Bible and has emulated from afar the life of the people of God. He prays regularly, and at one of the prayer times, the afternoon sacrifice prayer time at three o'clock in the afternoon, a time when you'll remember Peter and John went to the temple and healed a man at the beautiful gate. This is a regular time in the daily routine of prayers. Here Cornelius is praying and an angel comes and greets him. And as so often in scripture, the angelic being creates fear in the recipient of the message that he's come to bring. Cornelius hears that his prayers and his offerings to the poor have risen to the Lord as a memorial. You can't be saved by good works, but heaven misses nothing. His life has been noticed. And he's told to do one thing. Find Simon Peter. Listen to the message that he has for you. Being a relational man, he calls people that he trusts, who are loyal to him. He brings some students, uh, some students, I'm looking across here and there are no students. Um, he brings some servants to him and a devout soldier. And they go 
on the mission. He sends his own messengers. He's received a messenger from heaven. Now he sends messengers to Peter. And off they go. Meanwhile, back at the ranch. Verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. While the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, was, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to them, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. Peter, a leader of men like Cornelius, is there in Simon the Tanner's house, a place where you would not normally be associated with if you were a devout Jew. Of course, the tanner has to deal with dead bodies. That means that he's ritually unclean on a regular basis. The place is really quite repellent. If you've ever been near a tannery, you'll know the smell of it. Of course, he has to be by the sea, not because he likes the beach, but because he needs plenty of water and salt to do his work. Peter has gone to this home because he's following the instructions of the Lord, which are that you should go to the place where you're welcomed, go to the place of the person of peace. And so he goes to Simon the Tanner's house, and when he is praying, he's hungry and asks that a meal be prepared and goes up onto the roof to pray. The roof would have coverings to prevent you from uh, being burned by the sun. You'd be in shade. There'd be a breeze from the sea. And as he prays, he falls into a trance. Heaven is opened just as it was over Jesus as the dove descended. And the sheet from heaven contains all kinds of Ritually unclean animals, four-footed cloven beasts, reptiles, birds of the air, cicadas, <laughs> all kinds of stuff that you'd never go anywhere near. 
entirely repellent to a devout Jew raised in the home of devout Jews. He's never, he's never taken anything that is impure or unclean. But the voice addresses him as a friend. Of course, it's the voice of Jesus. Because it doesn't address him as some kind of distant relationship, but, but as the name given to him by Jesus himself, Peter. That's why in my Bible, these words are recorded in red. Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. It's a little bit of an exaggeration because he's living in the home of Simon the Tanner. But Peter's given to exaggeration from time to time, isn't he? The Lord says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Being clean is something that God does as a gift you're unable to do by your work or your striving or your determination or discipline. You can't be clean by those methods. You can only be clean by the divine touch of God. When Jesus comes to the leper, everyone is afraid of touching the leper because the leper, unlike all other symptoms of sickness, is called someone who is unclean. And you don't heal a leper, you cleanse a leper. Isn't that interesting? And when Jesus reaches out and touches the leper, the leper doesn't make Jesus unclean. The clean one makes the unclean clean. The clean one makes the unclean clean. You need to turn to your neighbor and say that. The clean one turns the unclean clean. Try it. Say it to your neighbor. worth getting in your memory there, isn't it? Because that's the truth, of course, that Peter knew in his own life. It was a truth that he'd seen recounted over and over again in the lives of who knows how many thousands by now. But here, he had to hear it afresh because something amazing was about to happen. Of course, the Lord was not really particularly concerned about the dietary laws that he had given his people so that they could symbolize a community of wholeness and a community of holiness. No, he, he was much more interested in the way that his people had positioned themselves towards the world, their stance, their posture of aggressive intolerance towards those who were not Jewish, who were not considered holy, who were considered unclean. He wanted to deal with that stance so ingrained into the heart of Peter. I was trying to think about 
how to illustrate this. And I was feeding Barney just the other day, and um, I, I, I was, we'd give him cans of food. And, um, you know, they're quite nice cans of food. Um, I think it's called pedigree. Um, he's not a pedigree, but, you know, that's okay. And, um, and this, um, this can, I, you know, you open it, and it's one of the old-fashioned ones where you kind of do this kind of thing. Gosh, I hope I can do this. I'm not very good at this, I'm afraid. Um, yeah, Sally, maybe you'll have to help me with this. I can't do this. Do you know how to do this? Mm. I think so. Oh, there it is, there it is. I don't do this very often, but there it goes, yeah. Thank you, Sally, for just the sense of support there. And, um, you know, you open the can and... Whew, I mean, the smell is a little bit repellent. Do you find that? It's a kind of, I don't know what they make it out of, but they say it's meat. And um, yeah, I, did the, I wore my televangelist pants just for this particular illustration <laughs> today. So, um, so you know, you, you, you go in there and you, you find a kind of gelatinous, gelatinous kind of lump like, like that. And what do you think? I mean, what do you feel? No? <laughs> Rebecca, you don't think I should? I mean, the, no, I mean, I, I, I mean, the thing is, the thing is, I mean, it's supposed to be clean because you give it to animals. I mean, you can't make Barney sick, can you? So, I mean, it, but the smell is the thing. I mean, it's just, and when you look at it, that kind of, Light of what is that? Is that really what is that? What part of the animal would that be that I'm going to be eating <laughs> right now? I don't, I don't know really. Anyway, let's just um, no, I'm uh, <laughs> oh. mm. wow, that's amazing! I love that. Yeah, oh yeah, oh, there's a really big lumpy bit there. Look, I can find it. Mm, look at this lump coming out now. Oh, look at that one. Oh, gravy. Mmm, yummy. Who else wants one? Anyone else? Ralph, would you you'd like to share the spoon with me? Come on, then. Take this in remembrance of Barney. What does it taste like? Oh my gosh, it's amazing. <laughs> oh my yeah. word. I, um, I removed all of the stuff from the can and put wow. um, chocolate mousse and uh, Milky Ways in there and it's absolutely incredible. Milky Way and chocolate mousse, wonderful. Taste and see how good the Lord is. It's interesting, isn't it? We have this reaction to the things that we are repelled by, don't we? And we immediately start operating in that same way that's ingrained within us. Because, well, we're not really thinking about it. It's just the way we are. A man came to church 
when Sally and I were working in the inner city, and he would sit on the back row and weep through the whole service, all the way through. I understood it when he was weeping through the sermon, because, you know, other people would do that from time to time, Sally occasionally. <laughs> but, I mean, during the worship, and I mean, it was, you know, what, why? What is it? And I could never get to him before he left. And it went on for, for months. He was obviously in great distress. And, and when I finally caught up with him, I, 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 I left the front pew during the last song to go and speak to him. And I found out his name was, we'll call him, we'll call him Bob. And I said, um, how are you doing? He said, I'm not doing good. I said, why is that? And he said, because I'm an alcoholic and I beat my wife. Now, at that moment, everything in me that wants to be an honorable man rises up. Somehow, I said, well, let's just have a sit down. And he described to me the hatred that his wife had for him, his alcoholism over many years, his abuse of alcohol, and how it was that he would beat his wife regularly until eventually she was put in hospital because he beat her so severely. And at that moment, something happened inside of him that was no doubt the work of God's spirit because he realized that this was not the behavior of anyone who should be considered normal or human. And so he stopped beating his wife. She continued to hate him. And he stopped drinking and tried to do penance by serving her in every way that he could. But his life was miserable. And he felt terrible about the years and years of physical abuse. And, It was very, very hard for me to share a message of acceptance and love and generosity and kindness. When we worked in Sheffield, we had an evening service that was the best attended of all of them. It was full of young people. And um, the, the front row was often empty because, you know, like all church people, you always leave the front rows empty, don't you, for some reason? I don't know what that is. And um, after a little while, the addicted community and the trafficked women who wanted to find shelter from the cold on a Sunday night came and sat on the front rows of the church. And um, one of the worship teams who met on a Thursday evening, as all worship teams 
are supposed to do by law uh, to, um, to do their rehearsals. Uh, they would have a meal and then they would have a rehearsal and they had a big team and so they'd have one team that was responsible for the kind of house church stuff of cooking and cleaning and then the other part of the team would be rehearsing in the main part of the sanctuary and, and they would kind of mix it out between them week on week. And um, they decided that they, that they were going to invite all of the people from the front rows. And they came on a Thursday night. And so they'd eat the spaghetti dinners with them and they'd listen to the worship sets being practiced. And then they'd come on a Sunday. And one by one, those people, repellent to many, even in the way they dressed to come to church, were saved and brought into a new life. We didn't really go looking for them at that stage. They somehow found us. But when they found us, they found people who, though at times struggled to deal with it, were prepared not to consider anything unclean that God could make pure. I was reading this week as part of my uh, work in my research about a First Baptist church in Florida who grew from 400 people, I don't know how many are here, similar number, grew from 400 people to 7,000 souls in just a few years simply because the congregation and the staff decided that they would invite everyone who wasn't welcome at other churches. Just go and welcome them. Just go and invite them. Not a complicated strategy at all. I wonder, I wonder where we are in relation to what it is that Peter heard from the lips of Jesus as the sheet was lowered from heaven. Are you afraid of contamination? Christian schools are great things. My kids have been to Christian schools. My grandkids, they're good things. But if you're sending children to Christian schools because you're afraid of contamination, then you've misunderstood one of the roles of being a Christian parent, which is to raise your child with the authority and the power of the Spirit, knowing that he that is within them is greater than he that is in the world. And of course, you don't throw your children to the wolves, but you train your children in the ways of the Lord. If you choose not to drive through particular neighborhoods because you think that that neighborhood is full of people that are undesirable to you, then Perhaps you do fear contamination. If on a Sunday you sit in particular places because you don't want to sit near other people who you don't particularly like, do you understand what I'm saying here? What is the simple behavior of your life? Peter had been raised in a particular way. He'd been raised to separate himself from those considered to be impure or unclean. 
as I've learned to walk with the Lord, my disposition is in an opposite direction. This is what I try to do, and I'd ask you to consider it yourself. Look for the people around you. Look for the ones who look diffident, who look embarrassed, who look ashamed, who perhaps are wearing garish clothes, perhaps have nails that you think, wow, how long did it take to do those? Hairdos that are elaborate or unusual. Generally, what I've noticed is that people in those kinds of categories are people who are trying their best to overcome a sense of shame, a struggle for identification, a desire to connect in ways that they don't feel equipped to connect. I look for those people. There was a young man, we, were, we took um, uh, one of the training teams uh, that trains uh, other churches around the world uh, in, the, in the ways of mission and discipleship. We took them for a day out the other day and we went to the golf range, that one down near Ikea. It's really cool if you ever go, it's fun. And, um, you know, we're chipping balls in this, that, and the other. And this young man comes to explain to us, he's a... He's an African-American young guy, and he has an effeminate way of interacting. And he clearly feels a little difficult in communicating. And he's wearing a mask like everybody was at that time. And on his mask, he had red, gold, and green, and an imprint of Africa, and the words, my roots, written on it. And I said, I love your mask. And he smiled. He said, really? I said, yeah, I love your mask. What a cool thing to have on a mask. I said, just yesterday, I was talking to African leaders in Uganda, and the thing that I noticed about them was their nobility of spirit and their incredible capacity as leaders. And he began to weep. Tears filled his eyes. I wasn't telling him anything that wasn't true. I was just finding something to say. When you look around the world, are there people that you wouldn't normally connect with? Are there people that you wouldn't normally identify with? Are there people who perhaps duck their gaze away from you? Are there those who are servers in restaurants and shops who look like they're a little uncomfortable being in such a public space? Do you show them kindness? Do you speak generously 
Do you think of something to encourage them? I'm always embarrassing people with me. They're, they're always embarrassed. If anybody comes out with me, they're embarrassed with all the time. Yesterday, I embarrassed Sally. We were at DLM. We were getting a coffee on our way out. We always do on a Saturday. We went and sat outside. And just as we were going out, the lass that was making the coffee, who had the longest eyelashes in the world. I mean, you would need an engineering degree to be able to... I, I just have no idea how you get them on. I said, those eyelashes are amazing. And she was all embarrassed. She said, they're, they're not real. <laughs> I said, whoa, okay, yeah, right. Whoa. So, I mean, do they take a long time to put on? She said, yeah. <laughs> I said, I bet they do. But they really are amazing. And she said, oh, thanks. Now, the conversation doesn't go any further. But who knows next time? Who knows the next person? Because you see, the thing that I think we need to practice is this. An open arms approach to the world. Who are they that feel rejected? Who are they that feel unclean? Who are they that feel impure? Who are those who would not come here because they fear rejection? Notice the servants of Cornelius. They stood at the gate. They weren't at the front door. They stood at the gate of the compound calling out. Why? Because they knew the reaction of religious people to their presence. They knew that they'd be driven from there. They knew that they would cause offense. They knew that they would dishonor the household if they stepped across the threshold. Who are these people in our community who maybe don't even darken the door of the church, who would never come near us because they think they're unworthy and unwelcome? I think it would be amazing if we just started inviting people who didn't think they were welcome. Don't you? Who knows what might happen? I think it'd be great fun. But it begins with a disposition. It was a disposition that had to change in Peter because Peter wanted to get it right and he didn't want to get it wrong. And he did fear contamination. It's the Lord who makes you clean. And who keeps you clean. And who protects you from contamination. He's called the spirit of holiness. Because he makes you holy by his presence. And of course you can stray and wander and ask God for forgiveness and it will be given. Of course. But your fundamental standing with God, which is as a holy person, will not change from the point that you invite the Spirit into your life. Because he is the Spirit of holiness, the Holy Spirit. And it may well be that you discover this. That when you reach out and touch the unclean, 
you give them the opportunity to be clean. Wouldn't that be wonderful? We'll talk more about this in future weeks. But this week, I think it's important for us to think through whether we're ready to be going out with a message of kindness, generosity, and welcome. Are we ready? Are we ready to go for it? Or are there balls and chains that hold us back? As I finish praying, I'd like you to stand if this week you'd like to be those who represent the kindness, the generosity, and the grace of God. And then afterwards, as we, as we conclude our service, those of you who want to be filled with the Spirit to go out and do the work of proclamation and invitation, I'd love for you to come and the prayer team will pray for you. And it may be that those of you who have considered your fear of contamination may come also with the others and be prayed for so that fears are removed by perfect love because perfect love casts out all fear. If this is a word for you, if this is a word for your summer as you engage your neighbors in the yards and have cookouts together, go to the pool, meet friends and family, then stand with me as I pray.